0: Do you remember that Christmas when your Christmas gift was an engagement ring? Do you remember that Christmas when you had heart pounding as you presented it to her and asked her if she would become your wife for the rest of your life? Do you remember that Christmas maybe where you got married yourself, Christmas or New Year's, and you stood up there in front of friends and family, speaking in public maybe for the first time ever, and with shaking knees pledged your fidelity to her for the rest of your life, to love, honor, and cherish. And maybe at Christmas, love comes easy. Maybe in those first few weeks, Years of your relationship, love came easy. Those crazy things that you did while dating. Those secret stories that only the two of you share with each other. The memories you made in those first tumultuous years. But maybe lately, the love is coming a lot harder. The difficulties of children. The losses that you've sustained. The inevitable changes in your looks and hers. It was easy to love her back then. Now, maybe it's a little harder. Do you remember the first Christmas party in school? And he sat beside you and introduced himself to you and quickly you became best friends. Together you bugged the teacher up front. At recess you played grounders and laughed and laughed. He was your best friend and you spent all your time together. Christmas vacation was awful because you weren't together and school wasn't enough and you were constantly in each other's houses. You figured out that he and his family had supper at 5 o'clock and your family had supper at 6 o'clock. So if you played your cards just right, you could have two suppers some night. Best friends. But now, he's married to that woman. And, and he lives a pretty hefty drive away, and life has gotten busier. It was easier to love him back in school when you were best friends as kids. Now it's a little harder. Do you remember that Christmas pageant? You dressed all the little kids up in all their little costumes, and the little child that yelled the silent night and was not silent at all, and you team-taught Sunday school together looking over a classroom full of rambunctious little kids and, and you remember it so well, the two of you just talking about the lessons that you were going to teach the children that week and as you discussed them together, so many of those stories came alive to each one of you. Noah, Elijah, Daniel, the story of the angels and the shepherd and the baby in a manger. It was so great to do that together. And then... The conflict happened, and you disagreed over something. And Maybe at first it seemed like just a trivial thing, a small point, but for whatever reason, it started to grow. You brought other people into your disagreement, first your spouse, then your friends, and now he sits on one side of the church, and you sit on the other side of the church, and there's this giant gap of hostility in between you. It used to be easy to work with him, to laugh with him, to love with him, and now it's a little harder. And you open up your Bible, and ha, you know what it says, right? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. John 13, 34 and 35, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 1 Peter 4, 8, most important of all. Continue to show a deep love for each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Ephesians 4:32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. John 15:12, my command to you is this: love each other the way that I've loved you. The Bible is just crammed full of this command to love. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, when we talk about love, to love one another is a part of it. Luke 6:31, 1 John 3:18, Leviticus 19, verse 8, Romans 12:10, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, Romans 13:8, Luke 6:35. I could go on and on and on. You know God's expectations. You know that He commands you to love. And yet, you choose not to love that that other person doesn't deserve it you, you don 't know what they said you don 't know what they did i don 't feel like it. Love is simply too hard, and you go to church now because you 're supposed to go to church it 's Christmas time. It's actually easier for you now because of COVID because you don't have to go to the same building that that person goes to. You can simply watch church from the comfort of your own living room and you can forget about that other person. You can, you can simply ignore You can keep the people that are hard to love at arm's length, kind of like passing by the homeless on the street, or changing channels when they put too many of those commercials on of starving children in far-off places, or maybe you have to request Facebook not to show you any more posts by Compassion Canada. You can ignore the problem, pretend that it doesn't exist. And it's Christmas time, right? So the pastor has to preach a really nice, warm, comfy message about shepherds and, and angels, right? But on the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of love, the preacher gets up and his words just irritate you. Because he's telling you to love each other. And for some reason, you cannot get that one person out of your mind that you are simply choosing right now not to love. The pastor begins with a story. A young pastor in a new country church learns that his church is being divided by these two old men, John Hatfield and Larry McCoy. And these two guys have had this feud going for so long that they can hardly even remember why it started in the first place. But they hate each other. And the whole church and the whole community has been brought into their anger, drawn into their hostilities, dragged into their fight with each other. But then Larry gets some weird pains. He winds up in the hospital and turns out he's sick. Dying. So the young pastor goes to visit him on his deathbed. And he asks Larry McCoy about this feud maybe it's time with death on the way maybe maybe now is the time to end the feud beloved let us love one another maybe now is the time and larry reluctantly agrees okay so the young pastor goes to visit john hatfield larry's dying he says, don't, don't you think it's time to, to get this thing figured out before he meets his maker? Don't you think it's time to wipe this slate clean? And John reluctantly agrees, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. So the pastor brings John to the hospital to visit Larry and, and, and together these two men begin this awkward, difficult process of patching things up, of forgiving of letting bygones be bygones and then the pastor prays and John stands up to leave and as he's putting on his coat John turns and says just so you know Larry if you get better feuds back on (laughs) and Larry says you know it you jerk (laughs) you chuckle at the humor You've been there. And the pastor starts talking about Jesus, about a baby in a manger. And as he paints this picture of your Savior, weak and helpless, come to earth, you start to realize just how hard it was for Jesus to love, for Jesus to forgive, for Jesus to to break down walls for Jesus to end feuds. It was hard for him. He gave up glory for this. He gave up perfection. He willingly sacrificed everything that was good in life in order to end a feud, in order to break down a dividing wall. (laughs) You start to feel this glowing pride for your Jesus, like, That was a man's man. Some people maybe misunderstand him, thinking he's gentle and mild. Turn the other cheek. Don't stand up for yourself. Jesus, the timid, infamous, nice guy. But as the pastor describes Jesus, you start to realize that the choice to love is the strongest, most powerful, most potent choice that Jesus ever makes. And he makes it again and again And again, to the very people who don't love him, he chooses to love them. What makes Jesus a man's man is his deliberate decision to love all the people that he would be perfectly justified in condemning, just like me just like you that's when he exercises the most power the most control the most majesty is when he loves when the king chooses to love the baby jesus in a manger is not simply a story for women and sissies. to quote an old redneck it is a story for everyone it is a story for the addict who cannot break his addiction it is a story for the wife living in an abusive situation. God loves you. It is a story for the politician trading in power and persuasion. God loves you. It is a story for the teenager being bullied at school. God loves you. It is a story for the young person struggling with gender confusion. God loves you. It is a story for the trucker working long hours out on the road. God loves you. It is a story for the mechanic with greasy, calloused fingers. God loves you. It is a story for the tough old cowboy that the pastor called his father. God loves you. It is a story for the person living in unforgiveness. God loves you. The people who slept through the birth of the Messiah, Jesus loves them. The Pharisees who knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem but couldn't be bothered to walk five miles to go check it out for themselves, God loves them. The the wicked king who kills all the babies, God loves them loves him. The the magi who come from far off land, they don't know anything other than astrology. God loves them. The shepherds who smell like sheep, God loves them. The, The fearful father, Joseph, not knowing what the future will hold, God loves him. The awestruck mother pondering these things in her heart, Mary, God loves her. And as the pastor speaks, describes the love of Jesus. This divine love, all loves excelling. This amazing love of Jesus. Your own heart starts to stir. And you think about this incredible strong love and and, and you think, that, well, if Jesus can do it, then, then maybe I can do it too. Maybe I can start to love others. Maybe I can make that choice to love others. I can love that homeless person. I can love that starving child. I can love that annoying co-worker. Or I can love that neighbor, I can choose to love." And then the pastor says, "You cannot love." What? You can't do it on your own. You can't muster up this kind of love out of thin air. Jesus is the source of love. You are not. You can't fake it until you make it. You can't manufacture it in the depths of a sinful heart. You can't pretend. You can't love the way that Scripture commands you to love. How is that possible that God commands you to love and then says you can't do it? You can't love this way. You can't just get inspired by a Christmas story, a baby in a manger, and change your life through personal willpower. If you try it, you will fail. And I know that you've tried it over and over and over again. And I know that you've failed over and over again. You can't love this way on your own. The only way to tap into this kind of love is to let Jesus create it in you. It doesn't come into being by an act of your control. It comes gently suffusing your heart at the precise moment that you surrender control. So hear me very clearly this morning. Because if you're listening to this sermon and there's this stirring inside of you, this this inner conviction, this realization that you are still demanding control over your own life, your own circumstances, maybe even over that other person's behavior and that other person's actions, then there's really only one thing that you can do right now. And that's give up the control. Allow King Jesus to be the Lord, Master, Boss, over all your life, over all your thoughts, over all your attitudes, over your lack of love. It's often worded in a prayer, and it might sound something like this. If you need some help praying these words, just repeat them after me, make them yours. As I say them, Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for giving me forgiveness when I did not deserve it. Thank you for coming to earth that first Christmas. Thank you for your death on a cross. And your resurrection on the third day. Please forgive my sin. Please come into my life. Please fill me with your love. Right now, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender control. To you. I call you my Lord. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, tell someone, tell your pastor. Tell someone in your church, and if you don't have a pastor or a church, then call us here at Bridgeway, area code 306-773-8945, call us, because surrendering yourself to Jesus is an incredible journey, but it is not one that you are meant to take alone. Call us so that we can celebrate with you. Scripture tells us clearly that anyone who prays this prayer, every time this prayer is prayed in sincerity, God listens to this prayer. 1 John 5.13 says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of the Lord, so that you might know that you have eternal life. In other words, if you believe in the name of of Jesus, the Son of God, the name of, of, of our Savior, you can know. You can know. That you have eternal life. It's not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of fact. And so that's the source of this love. Jesus commands us to love each other. To love. No excuses. Love each other. And then Jesus presents himself to us as the only source of that love. Not you. Him. And so if you're going to love others, the only way to love others is to let Jesus love others through you, to surrender your control to him. And then when you do that, he moves into your heart and he begins this journey of love, this walk of love. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. I've been chewing on this idea for a few weeks now. The power of letting Jesus love others through me. It's not easy to do. Here's a few things that I've written down in the last few weeks ways that I need to respond to Jesus. In order to let him love others through me. Ways that I need to surrender my own control of my own life to my king. The walk of love. Number one is this. See people through God's eyes. Begin to see that other person not as a project to be fixed. But as a child of God to be loved. See, if you try to love other people in your own strength, like if you try to love anyone on your own strength, It's always going to be doomed to failure. It's always going to be conditional on their behavior. No matter how good they are, your love is always going to have strings attached to it. And if they mess up, if they do something wrong, or if they say one thing wrong, then you're going to stop loving them. And once you begin to let Jesus love through you, you begin to see that other person the way that Jesus sees that other person as a child that he died for. And if Jesus loves that other person, then how can you not allow him to do that through you? So you take a deep breath, and you absorb the hurt, and you just let Jesus love them through you. Number two, when you're hurt by another person's words or actions, choose not to respond with hurt of your own. Someone hurts you, you want to hurt them back, right? If we live by that principle, that Old Testament principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, pretty soon the entire world is going to be blind and toothless. Someone has to break the cycle. Might as well be you. As Jesus fills you and begins to love that other person through you, you just take a deep breath. You absorb the hurt and you let Jesus love them through you. Number three, you begin to pray for those fractured relationships that you have with other believers. As Jesus begins to love others through you, you start understanding that it is never his will that two brothers or sisters in Jesus live in an unreconciled relationship. It's just not. And even if you are not yet in a place where you can love that other person actively, then at least love them passively. At least allow the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of you to cause no harm to them. Hurt people hurt people. This is how all of us act in our sinful, fallen flesh. I understand this temptation. Believe you me. But as Jesus fills you, you can take a deep breath, absorb the hurt, and then just let Jesus love them through you. Step four, live in an attitude of forgiveness. Be willing to forgive even if the other person never acknowledges the hurt that they've caused. One thing they don't teach you in seminary is that to be a pastor is to be hurt. People hurt me all the time. There's so much hurt in my past. And I've tried my best to own my mistakes, to ask forgiveness when I know I've done wrong. But the reality that so few people acknowledge is that sometimes it's easier to hate the message, to hate the messenger, than to listen to the message. People don't want to listen to God, and so they attack the pastor. And if you're listening to this this morning and you go to another church, hear this truth your pastor is hurting. There's hurts that he's carrying from people that he's pastored that might be years old. He's hurting. One of the things I've encountered in the last little while with all this COVID stuff is every pastor that I know is hurting. And so many of them are talking about giving up but walking away. It's like, I still want to minister, I still want to be a pastor, and I still want to shepherd a group of people, just not this group. Because the way they've hurt me, especially through COVID, is just, I, I just can't allow myself to be in a place where that can continue. I'll start again somewhere else. People don't want to listen to God, and so they attack the pastor. It's the number one thing that drives ministers out of ministry. Not the world's attacks. Not the stuff that comes from out there. Not the hatred of of the enemy. No. It's the well-intentioned dragons in the church. Every church has some. Maybe you've been one. Maybe you've had one of them flame you. If so, please hear this. Bitterness is the poison that you drink thinking it will harm your adversary. You have to forgive if for no other reason than your own well-being. Live in this attitude of forgiveness. The baby in a manger, one of his last words on the cross, his father, forgive them. They don't know what, you're, what they're doing. So as you allow Jesus to fill you, you take a deep breath. You absorb the hurt. And then you just let Jesus love them through you. And the fifth thing, the fifth way that we walk in love towards each other is cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. That's straight out of scripture, Right? 1 Peter 5, verse 7. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter in the new year here at Bridgeway. It's our new sermon series. But we're not going to get to chapter 5 till like the end of June, like June 27th or something. So I'll, I'm going to say it now. Part of letting Jesus love others through you is bringing him your hurts. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. You don't have to blast it out there for everyone to see. You don't have to shout it from the rooftops. You don't have to recruit allies for your cause. You don't cast your cares on others. You cast your cares on him. Now I know that's a false dichotomy. Because we cast our cares upon him and he's also put godly people in our lives that we can share our burdens with. But in sharing your burdens with other people, just don't forget to go to him first. I remember one time about 16 years ago, there was a conflict going on in the church that I was pastoring. And someone in the church came to me and they said, Pastor Nick, we've heard the other side. And we just, we just want you to let you know that, that we are on your side. And I said, I don't have a side I don't, I don't have a side. There's only two sides in a church. There's Jesus' side and there's not Jesus' side. And if anyone tries to tell you different, well, now you know. So I said to that person, that, that person out there that's saying all those things about me, you need to know this. I love them. I'm not going to engage in that myself I'm going to live in an attitude of forgiveness come let's pray together we'll cast our cares on Jesus together don't build walls build bridges cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you 1 John 4 7 and 8 Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love doesn't know God, for God is love. That's what Christmas is all about, the amazing love that God has for you in Jesus Christ, the baby in a manger who became a man on the cross, as we sang in our songs today, because he loves you. And when you begin to grasp the magnitude of that love, the majesty of the love, the immensity of the vast, unfathomable love that Jesus has for you, when you begin to start to understand the depths of the love, the riches that are ours because of his love for us, it is impossible to make Satan's hatred small enough. It is impossible to make the world's persecution irrelevant enough. It is impossible to make the slander and gossip of your enemies ineffectual enough. It is impossible to make your own doubts and your own fears minuscule enough. When you begin to grasp the magnitude of Jesus's incredible love for you, everything changes, everything shifts, everything transforms. Love changes everything. So Merry Christmas. Jesus loves you. I invite you, surrender your life to Jesus. Surrender your life to the baby in the manger. He's your second chance at love.
1: It says in 1 John that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, if God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. See, when the angels appeared that night in the pasture, they told the shepherds that a lamb had been born. And of course, doing what shepherds do, they had to go check and see. They left their sheep in the field, and sure enough, a lamb had been born just down the road. That lamb later walked to the cross and carried it up the hill. If God has so loved us, how ought we to love one another? So this Christmas, let's do a good job. Let's search our hearts Let's find those people, whether it's our family, or our friends, let's find those people and let's love well, the way that Jesus would want us to, the way that he did for us. That's the story of Christmas. It's a second chance. The question is, am I willing to give other people a second chance? Heavenly Father, I just lay my heart bare before you this morning and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move. Who am I, Lord, to open up these gifts and receive this present if I'm not willing to give it to others? So, Lord, if there is sin and brokenness in my heart, would you reveal that to me? Would your Holy Spirit give me wisdom to know how to love others like you do? Lord, if that means going to someone, if that means sharing the good news of your salvation with someone, so be it. I want to be a light this Christmas, Lord, in a dark world that is searching. Would we be bright lights, like lights on a house in the evening that you can see from miles away? Would we be yard lights on the farm that you can see from down the road, Lord, that guide people home? Teach us to love like you. And thank you for your love for us. Merry Christmas. Amen.